1: The reasonable voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. My guest today is Heather Hill. She is the candidate for City Council in Charlottesville, Virginia. And, um, well, Heather, welcome to the show. I think this is a first for us, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. How are you? Thank you
0: so much for having me. I'm well, and I'm looking forward to it as well.
1: Fantastic. You know, the, the number one interview question is, tell me about yourself. So why don't we st- why don't we start with that? T- tell us about you.
0: Sure. Um, well, I've been in the Charlottesville area since 2003, um, and went to business school here. After, I was working for two years, and then went to the Darden, um, getting my master's in business. And then I actually did leave for two years, while my husband now husband stayed here and went to Minneapolis, Minnesota. But then mm. returned in 2009, and have been. A city resident since that time, um, and we've raised three kids.
1: Um, my husband, John, and I have a daughter who is in first grade at Burnley Moran Elementary. She's um, almost seven, Aubrey, mm. and then our son, Warren,
0: is um, a pre gardener, and our youngest is Caroline, and she's just 21 months and certainly um, full of a lot of energy. We're chasing her around. <laughs> um, so I engage with the city um, through my role as a president of the North Downtown Residents Association, so there's neighborhood associations throughout the city and neighborhood leaders kind of work together to you know partner with the city to kind of have our, our voices heard mm-hmm. um and so i'm in that capacity i'm also on the belmont bridge steering committee so in the last round of evaluation um, when they kind of went back to the drawing board on, on the design process um, they formed a steering committee which i was selected to represent both the area of the city that i live in Um, as well as a person who has personal stake in that as I cross that bridge every day to take my kids from where we live in North downtown to Mm. the Belmont area where they go to preschool and so certainly have a vested interest in that bridge being completed. So my professional life, I feel like, you know, my background is industrial and systems engineering, so that's my undergrad, and then, as I mentioned, I went to business school um, here at the University of Virginia, but I feel like I've led the development and implementation of systems across multiple industries. So I've worked for IBM where I worked on Um, operational cost savings and efficiencies, as well as at General Mills, where we had a lot of success driving down costs that were really unnecessary to what we would call our consumers. Mm -hmm. In both cases, those savings could then be reinvested back into those businesses, and what I've seen as a neighborhood leader, I really think we have a lot of opportunities to be more responsive, but really could be using and unlocking efficiencies and cost savings, so then we can go and focus our time and our resources towards the things that our local residents value so in the world of brand management it was the consumers but here it's our charlottesville citizens and i'm really committed to collaborating with the resources within our region so that we can have a city that is responsive to our needs that we value mm-hmm. um, and is efficient and efficient in how it uses our pretty limited resources at times and we really need to be establishing clear priorities so that, that we have some accountability for getting them done um, The example i often use is when we as neighborhoods you know, bring con- issues to the city. Sometimes I feel like they can go into a black box where we don't have a lot of visibility as to where you know, those those priorities are being placed. And mm-hmm. if you don't have visibility to that, then you don't actually see where things are in the pipeline. And without that prioritization, um, there is an unaccountability piece. And as a result, I think a lot of people would feel that not always the things that we need to get done are getting done. Mm-hmm. And so as I've you know, just kind of worked through that um, perspective, I just feel like I have something meaningful to give to kind of leverage my professional background, as well as my personal commitment to this community. Obviously, with three young children who are going to be raised here, I just certainly engaged and want to engage myself and, you know, what the future of of Charlottesville may be and treat it in that way. And when I think to the professional work that I've had, those things that have really brought me closer to my community, I've been the most energized by. And for me, so going on City Council really is allowing me to kind of marry up a pretty unique what I consider a unique professional background, mm-hmm. um, also with a passion for this community that uh, we will live in the rest of our lives and my children will be raised in, um, which has kind of got me to, to this point.
1: Very good. Um, I I wonder, you know, uh, uh, you, you bring, as you say, a wealth of experience that is not always every candidate brings, so uh, that's impressive. Charlottesville is a unique place, I I find. I mean, I'm from New York and lived most of my adult life in New York. Uh, and Charlottesville, I find full of culture and and uh, uh, great restaurants and history, of course, and so forth. And uh, but I I wonder, um, you know, with it, it, the city council is kind of a unique uh, government structure. We talk about that a little bit. And this whole thing of being in Charlottesville, that is, in the home of uh, the presidential icon, if you will, Thomas Jefferson. And, of course, as you mentioned, University of Virginia, surrounded, all of this surrounded by the mostly rural county of Albemarle. So how does a city council person reconcile um, the political priorities and different different points of view in such a, uh, what do we call, in a three-in-one community? How's that?
0: one one way to put it, I guess. I I do think it's important we look at ourselves as one community. Um, Uh When I'm out door knocking and I all of a sudden realize that my my stretch of the areas I'm supposed to walk have ended, it's because I've hit the county line. And to me, the person who lives on the other side of the county line has just as valid of concerns about what's going on in the city is the person who is inside the city's lines um obviously we've there's a different structure in virginia i'm also from new york where um yeah. our city resided within the county and there wasn't a separate entity but i think it's really important that we are looking at everything we do forward um as a region i think it requires a lot of it's going to require a lot of partnership both with the city and the county as well as with the university. And obviously our transportation system is a big piece of that. I think that we have a lot of opportunities to make that more robust in a way that really delivers the needs to both the city as well as those folks that are out in the county and are needing to come into the city, and then vice versa, people who are in the city but are venturing out to the county. Um, I also think it's true of our, our multimodal systems. Like, how are we gonna provide the infrastructure for both biking and pedestrian um, pathways that reduce the traffic that's kind of coming in? because. Obviously, as we develop out in the county and in that more rural section, it's just driving more demand on, you know, the traffic coming into the, the, the urban center where a lot of people do still want to work. And yes. so related to that, we also need to be looking at it holistically that in order to kind of minimize some of that churn, we also need to figure out how can we solve some of those housing issues that we have within the city limits so that people aren't having to kind of traverse those longer distances to get to where they want to work. And um, so I think relative to the university, I mean, the university, I feel like, needs Charlottesville to be – to be strong and thriving um, in order for it to attract the best talent, both in terms of its professors and its students. And mm-hmm. I think that we need more of a commitment from the university to partner with us as, as a surrounding city. Uh, I, I really think it's a great opportunity as we look to a new leader of the university to, to possibly have some, some stakeholders from the city's government um, be part of that decision-making process so that mm-hmm. we can kind of start on that kind of mentality with this new leader that, you know, we are partners in this and. That, there's a lot of things that we can do together to really create a city that is thriving and a university that's thriving I think if if we can partner in more meaningful ways so I am certainly committed and I've already been meeting with supervisors in the county and hope to have already made some meaningful connections with people I happen to know through the university and what's been amazing about going door to door is you just realize how many passionate people there are within our own community that have really amazing ideas on how we can kind of these partnerships together because they're either stakeholders directly through their work um, you know, or, or their own personal connections with both the university and the county. And I think we're just so much more united on, on the direction that we want to take this region than we are divided. And I just think it's going to start with really engaging in meaningful conversations, and before things get you know too far along, we, we need to be having the, those discussions at the table um, and, and listening to each other's voices, because I think sometimes things get pretty far down the stretch and finally we realize, oh, there's a conflict here, and, and then people's kind of walls come up, and I just think that's not gonna bid well for, for our community to really be as successful as it has the capability of being, as you mentioned, with such a strong university and a strong city and, and county surrounding it.
1: Mm. You know, I, I know uh, your campaign slogan is Listen, Engage, Act, and you've uh, spoken to me about, uh, and, I, and I'm assuming that's what you're talking about when you go door to door, the Listen and Engage campaign. Can you give us some specifics, what examples of, uh, I mean, if, what are you hearing? and, and uh, Well, that's, that's the question. What are you hearing out there? March, um, I started
0: going out door to door and you know, I started, you know, I've been going like precinct by precinct and, and, and the sleet, in the sleet and snow at times and, and now rain and, and, and fortunately now sun. Um, but it's just been so energizing for me to be at people at their doorstep where they live their lives or they build relationships with their neighbors. And there's, it's just been amazing that some of what I was, you know, some of those that are the most um, and some of the underserved neighborhoods have been the most rich in terms of relationships they develop with each other and just the strength of those communities and I've just been so inspired by that and When I go to, obviously I'm there to introduce myself, but I say most importantly, I'm here to listen and understand what are your priorities? What do you think that A, the city should be focusing its time and resources on? And what do you think is going to make for a good council person? And it's just been great to kind of have that feedback. Um, I guess because I'm almost done through the whole city, I have about probably eight more walks to go. Um, Mm. They're mostly around my immediate neighborhood. But the top five things that are, have come up um, is affordable housing is number one, and that's both in the traditional sense of those, you know that. Uh, workforce and subsidized housing, but also just housing affordability at many income levels.
1: Mm-hmm. And that includes those folks who are finding themselves approaching retirement age and they want to stay
0: in their homes, but now they're no longer going to have a salary that's going to increase over time. It's going to remain steady, but there's concern that if our assessments continue to rise, because there's a lot of market-driven forces out there, um, you know, are they going to be placed out of their own homes after spending you know, decades of their lives here? And I think it's really important that we evaluate Um, whatever support options we have for those folks so that they don't have to to leave their homes. Mm -hmm. Um, And the same would be true of those who are just in general finding affordability of housing to be a problem. And there's certainly uh, levers that we can pull um, in terms of leveraging land that is owned by the city or by our housing authority, and we just need to take a really hard look at how can we maximize getting the most Um, out of of those opportunities as possible. The next thing that comes up and it comes up very widespread is development and planning. Um, Mm -hmm. People are really kind of observing
1: that we're really building on almost every square inch of remaining Greenland that we have in the city. And at the same time, we have to recognize we are an urban
0: center. So development is going to happen, but we need to be really mindful of where we're putting the development and the higher density areas really need to be along our urban corridor. But then we also need to look at what opportunities can we have to develop, you know, in areas that are a little bit more on the residential side, but create a nice transition from what those commercial needs are into the residential neighborhoods in a way that is not negatively impacting the neighborhoods, but perhaps providing them with some amenities such as a local grocery store or a coffee shop so that people really aren't relying so much on having to get into their car for some of those most basic needs um, but what ties to the development piece of it as well is another area that comes up is just the traffic that we're seeing in our and yes. I, mean, you know, I was alluding to that earlier as we obviously have a population that's outside of our city that's coming in to work and obviously some of that has to do with housing and people's desire just to live out in the more rural areas of our, of our region but you know when we think about development um, as an industrial engineer I just feel I'm a very systems-based person and so mm-hmm. I look along West Main and there's several projects obviously going along in parallel we can't just look at one project in silo and feel that we can really forecast what the impacts are going to be on the surrounding neighborhoods and in those main corridors in terms of traffic and parking limitations because if we do we're doing a disservice to the Future of our community. Um, I really think we need to kind of have a more holistic approach in terms of how we view, you know, how the entire West Main Corridor, for example, may be, you know, expanded or what the university is doing and how all of that development is going to impact our infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Because I think what people are seeing is you know, we're getting into a situation where it's just getting really jammed up, and many times of the day, and it's really affecting quality of life. And I think it does come around. How do we design our streets in a way that people are encouraged to take things other than cars? But at the same time, we just need to be mindful um, around just the, just the visibility of some of this development and is it really development we need? Because what I'm hearing from folks is we are building a lot of hotels, but do we really need a lot more hotels? What mm. is the, the occupancy rate mm-hmm. and the um, vacancy of those and how often they're being utilized? in comparison to if someone has affordable housing that they would live in every day. And so I think it's important that we kind of take a balanced approach. Um, And in our our area, obviously, no surprise is is schools and our our public education system. You know, this is the future of Charlottesville and we really need to be investing um, in the infrastructure there as well as making sure that we're setting up those children that have the greatest need, the, the best chance of a solid start. And I think that comes with expanding our pre-K programs. And there are some issues with capacity there, so we certainly need to invest in, in the infrastructure that way. Um, but I just I just feel that if you have any kind of a long-term view for Charlottesville, um, a lot of those kids are going to be the ones that are going to stay here um, for the decades to come, and we really want to be able to get them on their best foot um, and also support their parents in a meaningful way because childcare is expensive, and so is preschool. And if we can provide a way to serve more of those families. I think it's just
1: going to benefit us all as a city in the future. Uh, this is incredible. I, 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 we do want to continue the conversation with a candidate for Charlottesville City Council, Heather Hill. We're going to take a short break now. We will be back. She's been talking about the priorities that she's hearing from the people in her Listen and Engage campaign, uh, which sounds like she's quite literally mapped out the city Um, and, and is going door to door talking to everyone. So when she says listen and engage, she means it. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Heather Hill. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. A little Polish film entered indie theaters in 2014 and surprised everyone with its staying power. Ida drew audiences through word of mouth and earned itself a favorite place in the foreign language Oscar race. Under its quiet surface, Ida suggests the universal struggle of mankind to make sense of our existence. This is a world which fights to attain moral goals and leaves behind the detritus of corruption. Ida's journey is our path. A Catholic initiate, Ida's image of self, has been formed in a convent. Before taking her vows, she must now learn the secrets of her past. Guided by her deeply savaged aunt, Ida will discover her ancestry and the devastation that made her an orphan. Here we have allegory, vast human truths presented through an individual story. Visually, every frame of this stunning black-and-white film is worthy of display for the ages, with pearlescent detail emerging effervescent from deep shadow. Beauty defined. Ida is contemplation at its best. True contemplative might be read as warning, boring, boring, but not here. In this case, it is an apt opportunity to consider the state of mankind and our place within it. Mesmerizing. Ida. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio Show. Uh, reminder: My guest is the a candidate for the city council in Charlottesville, Virginia, Heather Hill. And uh, Heather, we're back on the line, and and I uh, let us um, let us continue with especially that engage part. I know you're out there listening to people knocking on doors. How do you engage? And then we'll talk more about. And then what? Okay.
0: Sure. And- Yeah, I think through this, I don't think I was expecting always the responsiveness that I've gotten, but it's been so amazing just to realize, as I was mentioning earlier, there's so so many people in our community that have something really valuable to bring to the table, Mm. and they may not want to be the one like me who wants to pursue it as a, you know, in a formal role such as a city council person, but as I've been listening to folks and I hear their backgrounds or their professional experience or, you know, whether they work for our school system or if they work in planning capacities, I just feel that the more we can do to really bring them to the table, the better. Because I don't see myself as someone who certainly, I don't have all the answers to anything. I really, I guess my role here is to be like a little bit of a jack of all trades, but to really lean on the community and those voices that really are informed and have a perspective that is so much deeper and richer than mine, but I want to bring them to the table. And so as I'm talking to folks every once in a while, I'll turn back to them and say, you know what, I really think you have something unique that I want to help Mm. Kind of bring your voice to life. If this is successful for me, and I get more information from them, and I've got like a running list, I think I'm up to like you know 45 people, and I take notes in terms of what I really think they can bring to the table. Because to me, I really want to create almost like advisory groups for myself, because mm. I just mm. feel like it's so important that the more voices that we have come to the table, um, the more uh, we're going to be able to really solve the toughest issues of this city in a more most effective way. And obviously, I also I'm trying to really uncover how do we get some of those voices that just aren't are never heard because you know, something's holding them back from kind of coming forward to some of these community meetings. How can we change the format of those? Engagements that the city maybe more formally takes on in a way that, that brings people kind of out of, you know, that may not feel in their comfort zone if we're presenting something at 7 p.m. at a community meeting with a PowerPoint presentation. For many people, that's just not the right approach to kind of bring them into the fold. So for me, it's just, again, about those people that I've been meeting out while I've been going door to door and really engaging them in a way as I look forward to trying to tackle some of these tough issues um, with their support, but also with the broader community and what ways can we kind of unlock um, a new group of people that come to the table. Um, Because if you go to enough council meetings, you can see pretty clearly there's a lot of the same faces that are there um, every other week. And I think it's just really important that we, what's really confirmed for me, having spent so much time and talking to so many people the last few months, is that what hits the papers and what is brought up in council meetings isn't always what's representing what the community really values and how they want us to be spending our time and resources. I'm not saying it's in all cases, but it's just been really insightful for me just to take this opportunity. And while you know, the primary, obviously, I hope it's successful, and if it is, I'm gonna go right back out there. I'm gonna broaden The the net, which I cast in terms of who I talk to, Um, the goal between now and the primary was to knock on the doors of what represented 3,100 people. Mm. Um, And my goal will be hopefully complete in the next week um, for that. But then if this is successful, just reaching out even more broadly and hearing from more people. Because I just think that what I've learned in this first phase is just the beginning um, of what I hope is an ongoing dialogue if I'm successful um, in terms of getting elected as a counselor through – you know, the, the four years that would follow because I just think this has got to be part of the process every day is listening to our community and what they
1: value. And, you know, since you've mentioned that, well, the, you, you're covering a lot of things and, and they keep making me think of new questions, but let's, since you've mentioned the primary, remind everyone that that's June 13th. Vote in the primary. Here, yeah. Okay. And and- so today actually is the last, well, today I mean,
0: today while we and I are talking, and the re- registration period before the primary um, has now ended. However, absentee voting for the City of Charlottesville voters goes on Monday through Friday up until that last week leading up to the primary from 8.30 to 4.30. You can actually vote in the registrar's office, which is um, in the City Hall Annex downtown. Mm-hmm. And also the same hours, 8.30 to 4.30, on Saturdays, June 3rd and June 10th. So for any reason you think that the 13th, you're not going to be in town or there there's other issues that get you involved. There's a number of, of reasons that they will take for people to vote absentee and get out ahead of it. You also can um, do a mail absentee ballot, but that's definitely something I would get on sooner versus later if it hasn't been initiated already. But Tuesday, June 13th is the primary for those who are available to vote at their local polling places. It's just going to be like it would be a November election. People will be coming and they'll be voting um, at the governor's race all the way down to the city council race for the Democratic side. And obviously, right now, it doesn't sound like we have any Republican um, primaries going on. So when you come to vote, you actually decide which ballot you're going to take. So those choosing the Democratic ballot would vote from the governor's line on down to those three of us that are running for city council, and they can vote for two people.
1: Hmm, very good. No those
0: hours on 6 a.m. to 7 p.m., so a very full day to get
1: there. <laughs> well, I'm glad I asked that question. Um, you know, you've been talking about, because um, this is, I mean, I've heard politicians before say, I'm going to go on a lis- listening tour, et cetera. But you really sound like, um, I mean, you're meeting people where they live, quite literally, and uh, sometimes there are surprises. But what I love about it is, well, let me put it this way. I mentioned earlier, uh, I've been a, a director in, in New York City and I always, you know, you prep the script and you go in and you're ready. You know you have your director's concept, what is needed. And then what I love, I tell people, is that then the actors start auditioning. They, we do the, They get cast. We do a read-through and suddenly you realize you have all of these nuances. So is that uh, I get that feeling that that's what's happening to you You have good solid uh, business background educational background and you have ideas I want to talk about those ideas and priorities uh, and, and uh, even more but you you listen to people and they are molding uh, adjusting what are they doing with your ideas
0: well, I mean, I don't present my ideas to them. I mean, really it's an open-ended question when I uh-huh. come to their home. I introduce myself, and I you know, say you know, the, my professional background, um, my engagement with the city is in my role that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And I'm a mother of, of three young kids, and this is certainly a community that I'm focused on. But I don't even, I, I really just turn the table right away and say, you know what, in addition to introducing myself, what's more important to me, actually, is to hear from you. Um, yes. What do you value, and what do you think we should be spending our time on? And... It's just, I think it's just so important to maybe open open about that because yes. as much as I laid out my priorities when I launched this campaign. I'm flexible I, I think if I'm going to be representing the people then I need to be open to hearing what their priorities are and so then I will adjust accordingly because I want to represent you know the neighborhoods throughout our city I want to represent our small businesses I want to I want to represent you know the stakeholders of this community
1: that agree and we all want this focus of we want Charlottesville to thrive and mm-hmm. I
0: can say that you know mine is based on my experience and where I came up with kind of the three things the three areas of interest for me and I hopefully you know still can, can continue to, to work from those in me meaningful ways, but I certainly like to turn it right back to those that I'm listening to and, and we will continue to do so. And I'm certainly committed to that way beyond this primary election. If, if this is successful, you know, always the general election, as I mentioned, like I think the next four years, it has to be about representing those who I am serving.
1: Mm-hmm. And you and you mentioned also um, uh, the Charlottesville City Council meetings, the public meetings that are held, mm-hmm. seeing the same faces. I've had that experience, too, as a journalist when I cover it. How do you, what, what do you have any specific plans? How does, how does a city council person uh, or the city council itself, because I've heard other council members that I know say on radio and in person that they, we need more people to get involved in that process. I was so impressed with it when I first covered a city council meeting because it truly is democracy in action. But how do you get more people to be part of the action? I have to look at the form and the format. I,
0: I personally kind of struggle with the thought of if I'm successful, if I'm going to be sitting up, top, up at a, a dais kind of looking down on the people that I'm serving. <laughs> I don't even know if that that's the right format for like, the chambers to um, be in. Um, obviously, we're not going to spend taxpayer dollars to deal with that. But at the same time, maybe there's an opportunity for us to go out into the community. And I know that the city has done that through their Our Town meetings, but I don't think that's really the same as, let's say we have a specific agenda item that affects the neighborhood. Let's actually take the council meeting out into the neighborhood. Let's Mm. find some, there's some locations out there that we can make that happen. I mean, I'm very interested to understand what limitations we could present to ourselves to to making that happen because I I think that we should be pushing for that kind of proactive approach to really, you know, maybe it's we're going to walk through a development area that we're going to be voting on that night and we're going to hear from those community members or maybe it's for the the council meeting that follows two weeks later. Because one thing I do hear from people is like, you guys, the, the council members have already made their minds up before we've even come in to voice our public opinion. And I think we have to really take a hard look at the timing in which we allow those voices to be heard versus when those votes take place. Because if it is the same night, then it's probably likely that a lot of thoughts already gone into that and to shift those mindsets at the end hour, it's, it's probably you know not not likely. And so I think it's really important because I think people are turned away when they feel like their voices aren't being heard mm. and they're not gonna come back. Once you lose those folks, it's really hard to re-engage them back into the process. And so I just think that both in terms of the timing in which we handle both public comment and how we then respond to it, as well as the venue in which we hold these, these sessions. I think it's worth looking outside of the box. I mean, just because it's always been done that way, I can tell you right now, I'm a person who doesn't want to have that ever be something that people respond to me with. And I think we can change anything, and I think we should be focused on unlocking new ways to, to further engage a broader set of
1: our community. I love that. that that's a great idea. It's kind of a traveling, uh, a touring town hall with members of city council. I think that's they do, a, do that, i yeah. not saying they do yes. and that's just only people bringing their issues forward. It's not
0: centered around actual decisions, and it's not truly the council meeting. I think there's something beneficial to actually having the council meeting on the road at some point. I'm not saying it's going to happen every time, but I think it's definitely worth some pilot testing here.
1: <laughs> I, like, I like, yeah. I mean, you know, as you say, it, it doesn't need to be every time, but, you know, to pick uh, from time to time different uh, neighborhoods, I think that's an excellent idea. All right, I'm. I'm. Uh, I just want to remind people. I'm talking to Heather Hill, who is a candidate uh, for running in the primary for city council in Charlottesville, Virginia. The primary date, as we mentioned, is June 13th. But she reminded you there are many ways and times, uh, depending on your need uh, or availability to vote. There are locations, et cetera. It's Seaville dot com, and uh, Heather, I want to move into what is becoming. Uh, uh, a visible challenge to us. How how will you um, how can you put uh, uh, what you hear from the community into action for Charlottesville, given the the current divide? I mean, sort of give us the how do you marry this? How do you what's how do you reconcile? Because this this new fight over uh, well, I'm a history lover, so uh, I'm torn. I understand both sides, but this. This needing to um, some people feeling very strongly and um, and um, assertively, let's say, presenting their facts that they don't want the Robert E. Lee statue removed and other symbols of the Confederacy. How does a city council person define and articulate Charlottesville's values when there is this um, this conflict going on? What do you think?
0: So can see a lot of a wide range of perspectives on um, some of the ways we handle these things, but I really feel it's important that, especially when we're dealing with um, how we approach uh, handling some of these situations, that we are bringing in the communities that are most impacted by those changes that we're forecasting. So, an example of the parks, obviously, as certain decisions have been made, obviously by council, and then um, there are some legal hurdles involved. But I think that regardless of what all those outcomes are,
1: we certainly need to be educating. The community on um, yes. some of the on this history in a way that's impactful, and I think to do that most impact
0: most effectively is to really pull in those communities that are affected most. And um, it has been interesting for me to hear the different perspectives throughout the community on this issue, and maybe even surprising um, to a lot of folks in terms of there's just things that some I feel like some of our most underserved populations just feel like they they really value need to be more of a priority than other things. And mm-hmm. so I think that, you know, when when we make assumptions around people's perspectives, I think it's, it's, a, it's a slippery slope. Um, and I, I'm really committed to wanting to have as many voices heard on, on a range of these more divisive issues because, again, it goes back to just because they have the loudest voices in the room doesn't mean it's the ones that are the most the, the most broad in our community, and with this issue specifically, I do feel strongly that we need to be engaging if there's whatever kind of recontextualizing or whatever changes take place that we need to be going to those that are the, the greatest impacted and, and
1: giving yes. their perspective on what is going to really you know, teach us all the community
0: um, about this history in a way that we certainly don't want to repeat. Um, so, I think it's really about again, approach and appropriate engagement um, of the right of the right books in the right way.
1: I couldn't agree more. And as I said, I I look at all points of view, generally speaking. But on this issue, well, you just have to listen to people and try and come up with some consensus. But. We need to go soon, so heather tell us contact information uh what you need volunteers are you uh fundraising uh, uh let us know w- any final thoughts and and um how we can get a hold of you and hear more about you whatever you wish to leave us with
0: sure well um, most of it can be found um online through my website so hill for siebel h i l l f o r C I V. I'm sorry, C V I L L E, so just all words. Hills for Stevill and um, it obviously has places that people will want to support the campaign. I certainly would welcome um, any any contributions in that way. But um, most importantly, I just love it if people reach out to me if there's a way to contact me directly and just. Share your voice with me. I mean, that's the number one thing is the more kind of foundational information I have on what our community cares about and where we should be spending our time and resources, um, the more I just feel equipped to really lead in a way that reflects what's important to um, my constituents. And so I would welcome anyone to kind of reach out to me that way. And if you want to get involved in more meaningful ways, there's a number of, of avenues. And it also has some you know, background on, on myself in a much greater detail. And um, you know, it talks about some of my priorities, which I, meant, you know, which I mentioned really are flexible, and it really has has to be that way if I'm, I'm going to serve this community in, the, in a meaningful way. So hillforseattle.com and um, my email is heather at hillforseattle.com, but you can just also reach me directly through that website interface and um, also see some pictures if you want to know what it, what it looks like yeah. point. So <laughs> I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to come on and I really engage the
1: conversation, enjoy the conversation so much. And so have I, and I'm I'm so glad we met and that we arranged to talk on radio, uh, Heather Hill. Uh, candidate for City Council in Charlottesville, Virginia, Listen, Engage, Act. That's what she says, and um, I'm loving it. So thank you so much, Heather, for being on the show today. We wish you all the best. Remember, everyone, June 13th is the primary date. All right, Heather, all All the best. thank you so much. My pleasure. Bye now.
0: Goodbye.
1: Stay with us, as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. Another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Imagine a beautiful vacation resort. Your every need is satisfied. You are comfortable. You stroll surrounded by incredible beauty in the moment, pondering life's unanswerable questions. Now you can understand the pace of Paolo Sorrentino's Youth, a reflective film about two old friends, still vibrant in mind, if aged in body and soul a famous composer of symphonies played by Michael Caine, and a famous film director, Harvey Keitel, spend their holiday in a posh, old-style health spa resort. Poked, prodded, and pampered in every way, they savor their long friendship, enjoy their glorified status, and contemplate the essence of life itself, all while still coping with the mundane intrusions the world throws their way. A famous young movie star brought to life by Paul Daniels shares their time of luxury. He is the embodiment of confident youthful possibility in contrast to our friends' reality, limitations and wisdom that come with maturity. Dealing with many of the same themes as Sorrentino's last outing, The Great Beauty, which deservedly resulted in an Oscar, youth is a rewarding contemplative experience in beauty, artistry, sensuality, friendship and all that makes our lives worth living. Youth. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Despite Trump, there's a better world a-comin'. Most Americans have always worked hard to get ahead, but if you weren't as pale as Andrew Jackson, you had to run faster and slave longer to be acknowledged hero. Not so for Groper-in-Chief, proponent of foxy sexual harassment, walled in by conflicts of interest, threatening affordable health care and scientific discovery shutdown whether shouting from baseball stands religious altars white hoods or bully pulpit mocking or demeaning others is the act of cowards with horrific potential and tragic probability yet We still walk among heroes, in classrooms, hospitals, and neighborhoods, in the aftermath of tornadoes, hurricanes, and floods, good Samaritans clothed as strangers, saving us from the reality of erratic humans and weather extremes. Though a nation too steeped in denial and consumed by belly-up fear, spun by spin, hot air, broken promises, and past glories blowing in our face like icicles and spring no divider in chief can wall in american heroism if women children scientists educators activists surgeons general attorneys general and peaceful protesters advocate for reason equal justice for all renewable energy clean air and water free public education, and a financially secure EPA knowing true heroes rally to save, not incite to riot. Heroes are rarely loud or torturous or self-aggrandizing, rarely thinking themselves superior or even worthy. They are teachers and nurses, doctors and lawyers, the insightful friend and stranger just in the nick of time. Yet heroes are not only those saving families in trapped cars, breathing life anew into infants, but are the daily bread care propelling us forward in melodic ensemble, There's a Better World a-coming. Now we petition, march, and campaign to renew elections with an informed electorate. We must be risk-taking heroes for our children, because their children are depending on it. We are the descendants of depression, inheritors of progressive winds, and stewards of the immigration legacies of legends. Heroes and emigrants come in all sizes, shapes, shades, and sexes, but where there are dreamers, there are detractors. Where the best and the brightest also fear of change where innovative ideas, old habits, where God bless America, assassinations in the streets, where just say no, fatted calf feasts for drug lords, where genius, envy, outreach, duck and cover, for every protagonist, an antagonist, and every hero, a villain, where heroes seek balance, cowards create chaos." Despite a James Comey two-step or POTUS M.I.A. sidestepping, not the White House, correspondence dinner, broadcast chambers maintain empty barrows. Oblivious to America's greatness is in the kindness of strangers, mentors, and nature. As for heroism, white congressional males, or sojourner truth, Harriet Tubman, Clara Barton, Hetty Green, Helen Keller, and her teacher, Anne Sullivan, Frances Perkins, Georgia O'Keeffe, Amelia Earhart, Marion Anderson, Rosa Parks, Martha Ray, Catherine Graham, Ella Fitzgerald, Nancy Reagan, Shirley Chisholm, Maya Angelou, Audrey Hepburn, Coretta Scott King, Madeline Albright, Hillary Clinton, Oprah, Simone Manuel, Simone Bills, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Heroism newborn william billy kimball's doctors nurses and scientists who develop ways to save the lives of babies and the elderly or climate deniers may eighteen eighty four moses fleetwood walker squatted to catch baseball fans off guard Seven years before tax day was knocked out of the Ides of March, Jackie Robinson stole bases in 1947 almost as fast as a 1936 Buckeye bullet winning four Olympic gold medals. Yet we still need Sam Cooke and Woody Guthrie to apologize to Adam Jones. But I know a change is going to come. Oh, yes, it is. Since, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, the GOP has diminished equality for non-whites, non-males, non-straits, non-documented American dreams. Caveat emptor, Halliburton Gulf oil deaths, pharmaceutical price hikes, and health care that denies covering pre-existing conditions. We choose who we honor as heroes, Mike Flynn or Desmond Doss, who earned his Medal of Honor by saving 75 wounded at Hackshaw Ridge, Donald Trump or Jimmy Kimmel. Mother of all bombs don't fire honor, and too often America's forgotten heroes are women. Change that makes a better world allows truth to set us free from the darkness of Lincoln's betrayers and emerge into the light of heroes, like Sally Yates. Thank you. And join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the reasonable voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Questioning underlying conduct and the unnecessary lie. Tapes. With all due respect to Tom Brokaw, saying Trump's firing an FBI director heading an investigation into the possibility of both election and administration corruption is nothing like Nixon's Saturday Night Massacre is like saying 1950s Korea was nothing like World War II because Truman designated it a police action. Are we isolationists or globalists? Because Trump can't seem to get past, the specifics are quite sensitive, to serve the American people with some degree of honesty. So shall we applaud agency decapitation, sacrificing truth and justice on a presidential chopping block, or be examples of Kennedy's profiles and courage? In May 1934, a major dust storm swept across where the buffaloes roam to engulf our eastern states. In May 2017, a Twitter storm, heavy laden with manure for base consumption, blindsided American intelligence to wall in American character. So who is rotting the state and why? K or Main Street? red state governors versus democratic legislatures or the outfoxed versus big picture is it the president's home or the marionettes occupying it are we insightful stewards or blind tourists can what makes us feel safe be safe knowing our self-governing experiment still fires up a sense of unifying homeland security or being victimized by a Russian hacking distracting us from an inside job of whitewashed-money blacklisting power speaking truth? Are we pawns monopolized by the checker-speech feigning chess mastery, or just cherry-picking news cycles from a media vulnerable to its own myopic redundancy? Who exemplifies strong and decisive action and safety and security of the American people? a ten-year-old girl stuffing the nostrils of an eight-foot-nine-inch alligator to survive, or a messianic Mike Pence? Who restored the trust and confidence of the American people, Sally Yates or Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Is it the liars who lie for a very active president, or whiz-bang flip-flopping masquerading activity, making it impossible for Trump surrogates to stand at podium with perfect accuracy? Is America first and the Middle East trip camouflage for uniting church and state, or resurrection of the old empty wheelbarrow cliché? Are more troops, more wars, more open carry, more racial street and domestic violence, inspiring both lone wolves and lending wolves? Have we not so much sold out as allowed ourselves to be rented by leaders who auction futures for the big short? Is the science of climate change all we deny, or do we too often turn up the noise to veil patriotic frauds? From the ashes of Trumpism can we reaffirm what is exceptional and perhaps embrace what is visionary, the ideal that there is more to life than a paycheck, more to family than those who live and look like us, more to faith than parroting white supremacy, but little more patriotic and heroic than the millions marching in demonstration for justice for all. Now, with American health care, racial, religious, gender, and generational battle lines defining the home of the brave, let us courageously embrace what it means to be descendants of European immigrants in a nation increasingly evolving into the land of free-to-be-non-European-looking descendants. Andrew Sullivan theorizes... Americans voted for Donald Trump because immigrants make them desperate for a reconfirmation of their national identity. I pledge allegiance to the fact that America's awesome diversity is the magnetic proof of its greatness. And with two steps forward and one back, we are becoming the polar opposites of Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong-un, and Donald Trump. Now... As truth sets us free from the core rot of Breitbart good old boys, we'll see the greatest threat to America's greatness is a colluding GOP. Just as in 1938 some feared America had been overrun by Martian aliens, in 2016 states of panic over aliens voted believing a bankruptcy king would save America from immigrants. The only invaders we need fear are those who use our fear to divide us. Lincoln didn't just say, let us confidently hope that all will yet be well. He led America through the first era of A House Divided. Now it is for us to add or detract. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.